Welcome to a Drop Tent Media Production. The Porcupine with Adam Nutter. What is up, uh, Porcupine people? I don't know. I still don't know what to call you guys. So what's going on? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is episode number 19 of the Porcupine. Of course, I am Adam Nutter. What is up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Super cool. Uh, real quick house cleaning shit out of the way. Again, follow me at Adam Nutter on all the stuff. Uh, if you're not watching on YouTube, please go to YouTube, youtube.com slash Adam Nutter for this uh, podcast. And I put up like stand-up clips and stuff up there too. So go check that out. Uh, of course, listen to Cult of Us, my comedy podcast I do. Uh, real quick, some show dates coming up. Uh, if I put this out, Thursday afternoon, maybe you guys can still probably catch me at the Comedy Works in Bristol, PA, eight o'clock show. Then at Saturday, the second, I'll be in Fairfax, Virginia at the Mises event, doing stand up with Lou Perez and Robbie Bernstein. Coming out, I still think some tickets are left, so coming out to that. Then I'll be in Texas with Robbie Bernstein and Kyle Ruff at Lockhart, Texas, doing comedy down there. I don't have all the details yet, but they'll be on my social media. Uh, the 15th, I'll be opening up for Aaron Berg in uh, Chalfont, PA, right outside of Philly, coming out to that. And then, of course, the I- I- Ivory, Ivy, oh my God, Jesus Christ, Adam, Ivy Tavern Comedy Show, uh, Friday the 22nd in Ham- Hamilton, New Jersey. Christ, all right. We are done with that. Intros are good. All right. My guest today is a fucking great comic, podcaster, you know him from the host of Ginormous Food on Food Network. Uh, next week tonight on Censor.tv, uh, and of course his podcast, J- I cannot fucking pronounce anything today, Jankum, give it up for Josh Denny, everybody. Hey, how are you guys? Thanks. Again, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, real quick, I'm bummed I couldn't open for you in Delaware that one time. I'm fucking, that would have been a fun weekend. I know, would have been. We end up, I ended up having Mike Keegan come down and do it. It was a weird thing because I originally had... Um, Oh, New York comic Amanda something uh, and then she wasn't able to do it last minute and then I got Jonas Barnes to fill in and he wasn't able to do it last minute and then I, that was when I reached out to you Third and then nice. he was like I've, he was like I've got he was like I've got another guy uh, and then uh, he he sent me his stuff over and then I just didn't hear back from you fast enough to get to make it happen so yeah, no it's all good it's just because uh, I, I, I think I reached out to Lou I think first and Lou was like I can't do it but maybe Adam can and I was like oh cool yeah I forgot about Adam <laughs> that's usually how it goes <laughs> <laughs> well dude I, I you know it's funny too because I always say there's like uh only like eight or nine libertarian comics in the fucking country and we're two of them (laughs) yeah i know right (laughs) like it's wild when you think about it that way like that's it we're we're a small breed dude it's but we gotta stay strong uh so a bone i have to pick with you though is you went on tower power a tower gang uh the other the other week right yeah and before your appearance they said i was the most fun they had and then they said your episodes beat my episode fun so now I have to go back on and outdo you, <laughs> <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's you know, that, that, I, occasionally, occasionally I have uh, podcast appearances where I guess I'm on and people have a good time. No, dude, you're fucking great, man. Uh, I was like, God, they told me that the other day. I was like, Denny. <laughs> was like, yeah, yeah, no, they're back. <laughs> no, they're funny guys, man. Yeah, that dude. was the, that was the most fun I've had. You know, I've done. Dude, I've literally done like 30 of these in the past month, and uh, th- that was by far the most fun I've had. Yeah, because you just get to go in there and just shit talk and joke around, and like it doesn't, no one really yeah. cares. And that's, yeah, it's the most fun about it. Uh, they're actually all coming on here in like two weeks. We're going to do that live. That one live, we're going to do live and just gonna be fucking chaos. And oh, that'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Try to have a fucking good time. Yeah, they're fun. The guys at Ski Mask Collective are fun. I mean, yeah. there's like these, you know, there's like these, uh, these like fringe podcasts that are fucking a blood the guys from the american council truth and journalism like there's so many of these sort of like they're not like mainstream podcasts or comedy podcasts it's just like four friends talking shit and those podcasts are the most fun yeah and like they're not and most of them aren't even like comics or anything they have like day jobs and <laughs> they're like yeah. how are you guys so fucking funny yeah, <laughs> like, I work yeah well that's my experience too is like most of my my funniest friends are not stand-ups like my my, oh, my yeah. two fun 
you know, one of my funniest friends now, I would definitely have to say is Gavin McGinnis, who's dabbled in stand up, but he's never really mm-hmm. been a stand up. And then one of my other buddies, Tyson, he's like, he's not even, he, he's done stand up like one time, but he has like a very high level corporate position for a company. And he lives in like Montana and he has acreage and he, and, you know, so he's just got a good life. He's, he's newly married in the last few years. And, um, but he's the funniest fucking dude. I know we went to high school together and, uh, you know, he's funnier than 99% of my comedian friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this before too, but like, uh, on my comedy podcast I do with, with my buddy, Neil, uh, we used to have on like guests and, you know, other, other comics and, Wow, man, they they suck. Comics are the usually like some of the worst guests. You would think we'd all be good at it, <laughs> but like some guys or some girls, whatever, they can't riff for shit. All mic. girls, I mean, all girls for the most part. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be nice, but yeah, <laughs> it's just, pretty much they can't riff for shit. They, no. they they can't they can't. It's like it's like they'll just sit there and like wait to be like asked. To qu- I'm like, hey man, we're all just ripping jokes here. Jump the fuck in or don't. Like, like, yeah. And it's like, you know, it, I feel that way a lot of times with podcasts and stuff and at shows where I'm just like, OK, why did you get into comedy? Because like I got into comedy because I used to make all my friends laugh and they were all like, you should be a comedian for years and years and years and years. And then I finally fucking did it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I enjoy this and I'm good at it. And then it took me a few years to learn how to write like real like more solid material. And then I, you know, and then I was, I've been at it for 15 years, but there are people that I see that are in comedy and it's like, you don't have any natural ability to be funny. You're not a particularly great writer. Like what the fuck, you know, like how did you decide this was the thing for you? And they go like, well, I just love it. And I'm like, well, I love the NHL, but uh, (laughs) I kissed that dream goodbye a long time ago. (laughs) It's like, you know, loving something isn't enough to fucking do it. You know? Agreed. No, I totally agree. Uh, there's also like a weird comic thing you get where they're like, "Well, I'm actually like a theater person, but I, I do stand up." Like, then go do theater. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those those are the about? people. Yeah, those are the people that are like, uh, "Well, I got to find a way in somehow." And you're like, "Go fuck a producer. Get off our stage." <laughs> That's what Weinstein. You know, like, for. Ha- yeah. Listen, uh, Harvey Weinstein's incarceration <laughs> has destroyed the open mic scene <laughs> in Los Angeles because before a, a no talent bitch could just suck that guy's cock and get into movies. And now she thinks she's got to do comedy. This is the biggest tragedy to come out of the Weinstein scandal that nobody's talking about. No, yeah. Just us, just other comics. Like this is bullshit. Yeah. Like take it over. Stage yeah, time. N- now that they can't fuck their way into the business, they're getting on our stages and pretending that they have ability. See, now, of course I know you don't obviously stay uh, comedy in New York, but like, uh, I started in New York. Now I live outside of Philly now, but you know, I, most of my well, I started my years were in New York. So like, I'm still a New York comic oriented. I still do a lot of shows in New York and stuff like that. Well, not anymore because you know, uh, yeah, Nazi stuff. But I just can't I can't go back there now. But I was in a lot of shows in New York, and there's a there's a very funny comic thing where you see again like the theater. The, we, we call them the theater comics. Yeah, they'll do like they'll actually. I saw one guy do this like the fucking feign like a ah oh, like during his bit <laughs> and i'm like what are we doing here <laughs> like, dude this is fucking wh- and, and you I- can tell you can tell because their style is like it's such it's so one man showy yeah and it's not conversational at all like good comics are having a conversation with the audience um you know and by don't get me wrong like there are like if i get to shoot a special in the next year or so which i'm hoping to do um there are these sort of like one man show th- bits that i want to do but it's like shitting on one man shows it is shitting on theater right and it's like shitting on the pretentious nature of what has become stand-up specials now where it's like you think these people are doing like variety shows and pretending it's stand-up and it's like you know back in the day it was like a comic on a bare stage in front of like you know five thousand people just doing jokes and it, comedy doesn't only have to be that, but boy, has it gotten really fucking far away from that. Yeah, well, there's always that thing of like some comics trying to like up the ante of like, oh, I'm like, this is gonna be the, I'm Meadow now, bro. It's like, it's like, I, what's his face? Drew Michael did a whole special without an audience. Yeah, and you're like, okay, man, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? It's like I don't care. Yeah, you might as well not do it a fucking special, guy. 
Yeah, you know, it's uh, listen, Drew has always been a guy that is like wanted to reinvent the wheel of stand up comedy. And, you know, like, I think he should be a pretty good fucking wheel maker in the first place before he decided <laughs> needs to be yeah. reinvented. Um, but, you know, uh, listen, everybody, everybody tries to find their angle like Hinchcliffe did it when he did his one shot special many, many, yes. many years ago. And it's like, bro. The fucking benefit. Uh, sorry, my oh, camera good. cuts out. The fucking benefit of the medium is editing, right? Like I'm able to write the only way I'm able to write 30 minutes of material uh, and do it on next week tonight for Censor TV is because I have the benefit of editing from the medium. And that's the thing that always blows my mind is like the one the only thing you should do that deviates from your live stand up in a televised special is using the medium of television to deliver things that you can't do in a live setting. So if you have like one of the, one of the most clever usages of this, I thought was in the show mashup on comedy central many years ago, where the comics would perform in front of an audience, but ahead of time, they would film a sketch that was an act out of their standup material. I remember that. And that would play, that would play uh, on television while you're listening to the comic, do the material. And you're watching the mouths of the characters like reflect yes. what the comic is saying on stage. And I was like, that's cool because you're adding a visual component for people who lack imagination. You're adding this complete visual component to it that adds depth and allows you to use the TV medium in a way you can't do on stage. So I thought that was great. And I would love to do something like that in a special because I do have some of these bits that are like, kind of wild uh, and imaginative and seeing it would make it 10 times funnier than just hearing me say it. And so like, I think that's a useful tool. I think like having some visual component on the stage is also a useful tool, but there's a lot of these other, you know, there's a lot of these other th things that are more like gimmicks that are time fillers that aren't necessarily useful tools in people's standup. Yeah, remember uh, Shorty's watching Shorty's on Comedy Central from years ago too. It was like Teresa yeah. Neal and stuff like the same thing. It was like, but you know, these cartoon babies versions of the bits. Yeah, anything. I I I do dig different stuff. Except I don't dig dig, dig different like stand up styles or stand up like again trying to figure out some, a new way of maybe performing or putting on a special on. But there's some things where you're like, this is just fucking cringy and douchey, man. Like you're trying to do too much. You're trying to do or you know, it's like there's still. At the, at the at the end of it, there's still stand up. You gotta tell. You, you still have to make someone laugh. Like you know what I'm saying. Like it's not all yeah. about just the art. Like you still have to make a fucking joke. Yeah. Well, the one that like the one that was really fucking weird for me this year was like this year's Nanette was that show Nate. Did you see that on Netflix? Where it was like some female uh, improv comic, and she basically plays like a redneck broish dude, and you know she's like got her shirt off and her fucking tits out and. You know, and the whole thing is supposed to be some sort of takedown of toxic masculinity, but it just feels like this cringe theater piece, mm, you know, yeah. and it's just she like wrestles a man on the fucking stage and, you know, and like people are spending, you know, these fucking people take these shows out and they make tons and tons and tons of money because, you know, pe people that make a lot of money like to go out and feel cultured at these things. It's, it's just like this weird, like eyes wide shut performative masturbation and it's like no one's are you really getting joy out of this like are you is it really making you laugh you know it's like they they it's like they're paying to be uh could, for someone to confirm how fucking smart they are and i used to say this like when i came up i did all black comedy clubs and then i, I switched into doing like mainstream comedy clubs and i was like dude when you perform for white people, it's like you're waiting for them to hold up a scorecard after every joke. <laughs> and that's and that's literally how so many I, I, and I won't even say white people now. It's more like liberals, like educated liberals have this weird fucking sentiment of uh, like, oh, that joke has to like resonate with what I think it makes me a smart person. And if it doesn't, then I, then it's bad. And that's where they they started to get into this thing of like, oh, well, any comedy that talks about race or sexism or whatever is like racist or misogynist or homophobic that all comes from their need to have their fucking sense of of uh intellectual superiority satiated by the show rather than just shutting the fuck up and laughing yeah that's interesting uh i've been saying this a lot lately but i was like uh educated white liberals are the most racist people on the planet oh without a doubt <laughs> well let me give you an yeah. example let me give you an example they go, comedy should punch up. Well, what does that fucking mean? Oh, dude, we have okay. I 
I don't I, please don't say it. I know you're gonna say it. I'm sorry to cut you off because I think we're gonna say the same thing. I don't want people to think I'm stealing it from you. But go on, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll totally carry on after what you say. I'm sorry. No, I mean, we, pro we probably have the same yeah, sentiment yeah. about it. But like for you to believe that there's an up, that yes. premise alone is based yes. on your predetermined socio uh, socioeconomic yes. understanding of who sits where. So yes. if I go, if you yes. go, you yes. shouldn't make fun of black people. That's punching down. I go, what the fuck are you talking about? Why is a joke about a black person automatically punching down? What if the joke is about Jay Z? What if the joke is about Beyonce? They're billionaires. I'm a fucking poor comic. Uh, is that not punching up? Or do you believe that black people can't be punched up at because you have an inherent racist bias that says black people are always beneath you, no matter what level of success they achieve? Yes. And I'm so, I'm so sorry to cut you off, but you just, the first two words you said got me so excited. I was like, this is exactly what I fucking think. You were right. my fucking brain, dude. I, I say it a little differently, but I just go, um, when someone goes that you're punching down, I go, what does punching down mean to you? I need you to tell me. And they'll go, well, you're making something less than. I go, what? What is that? You just said a right. black person's less than you fucking yeah, psychopath. When I, listen, when I talk <laughs> about black people being late to shit or black, the joke I made on Twitter last week, I go, of course, but we don't spend any time in the media talking about black women being abducted. They're too fucking loud to be abducted. Uh, it's like for you to think that that's racist. It's like nobody said black people are less than I just said they're loud. What does that have to do about their standing in society? It's a it's a it's a personality trait that black women have. Yeah. And the fact that you think that it's derogatory makes me think that you think everything black is derogatory. So who which one of us has the problem with being a fucking bigot, me or you? Well, that's the thing, especially as libertarians. We're like, hey, man, everyone's equal. I don't give a fuck. Everyone's equal. Right. I, I am. I am anti collectivism bullshit. Like, racism right. is collectivism. It's the same fucking thing. And I think it's not because it's racist. I think collectivism is gross. So You're I think right, exactly. Right. So I think racism and is it, gross because it's collectivism. <laughs> it's, and it's, I don't it's know. Gross. I don't know your story as a kid, but being a redhead, the idea of being part of the collective was never an option for me. No, you guys have like no I was an you, you, individual <laughs> all the time. Like yeah. it, there, there was no, oh, you're white. Come with us. When I was a kid, if I was getting picked on the black kids, the fucking white kids would jump in and pick on me with them. If anything, I was the great unifier because at <laughs> least white people and black people could get together and hate me instead of hating each other. And well, so. Uh, yeah, this idea of like, yeah, I'm going to give it to fucking white people. I'm going to give it to black people. You're all going to fucking get it. I'm going to give it to whoever I want to give it to. And if you think you're going to tell me not to, you can suck my dick. Yeah, uh, I, I grew up uh, playing football my whole life, and I grew up in a lot of locker rooms. And a lot of the bonding between the black guys and white guys, we make fun of each other. Yeah. And we would go out. Drink. I, I, I played football for a while, so I, I played like past drinking age, too. So like we would go out to like the bar afterwards and like fucking... It, it, we were all friends. Like, there was no, it was like, and again, like, one of the funniest things I was ever told one, one of my black teammates was like, yo, how come you guys don't wash your legs? And I was like, yeah, yeah. wait a minute. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Why, why don't we, how'd you know that? And why, and now, you know, now I won't wash my legs. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. it's like, but it's like, who gives it? It's funny. Like, it's just jokes. Like, we're not like, we're not like, no one ever leaned in and was like, hey, you shouldn't exist as a person. Okay. That's funny, right? Like, no one's ever saying shit like that. It's always like dumb, stereotypical jokes or like, cultural shit which is how you bond well what i think is funny is that, like that side doesn't that they're like oh you're punching down you're you're like you're doing this reductive stereotypical humor about white people or black people and i go like yeah have you watched a black comic ever 90 percent of the yeah. fucking 90 percent of their act all of them is re reductive stereotypical shit about white people yeah and so it's like yeah that's what we do that's what comedy has always been so but don't pretend like it's fun when they do it and it sucks when we do it because uh when we do it it's pretty fucking funny and by the way for people who don't believe it's funny when we do it go watch a clip that i posted on my rumble page from when i the first year i did comedy in 2007 I posted a video of me doing a Def Jam audition where I was the only white comic in an all black club on an all black lineup. And I fucking destroyed <laughs> because back then the color of the comic skin didn't fucking matter. If you were funny, you were funny. And, and it was definitely harder to win over an all black audience back then or, 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 or period than it is to be a black comic in that environment. And so 
you know, I, I don't know. I just have this mentality of like, listen, I've battle tested my point of view through black audiences for the first, you know, five years of my career. I'll be goddamned if some fucking mixed kid who went to Stanford tells me my shit is racist. You don't. I bet I know more about black people than you do. You well, rich, privileged faggot. That's exactly the thing is is, is uh, on. Uh, what, was, what was he talking about? Oh, I forgot what the fuck. Well, I just my train of thought. Rich privilege faggot. Uh, oh, uh, go, welcome back. Hold on. Uh, oh, that was it. On the on, you know that podcast of Fakeitarians? No. Okay, they're they're trash. I, sh- I wish I fuck. I wish I even say they they suck. They they hate on like Dave Smith all the time and like Joshua Smith and like me and like you know. They, oh yeah, they, I did Joshua Smith's podcast. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's the man. Joshua's the man. They hate you too for sure. Like if they if if you're if you're on, the, I'm sure you're on their radar. I'm sure they hate you. I'm sure they've talked shit about you before. Like they hate all of us, but they call themselves libertarians anyway. Um, Josh and Nick Ashley went on their show. And because they just keep calling them racist and all this shit. And they went on their show. And then I think it was Nick who said, what's your favorite rap album? And none of them just, they just stuttered their way out of it. Yeah. I don't, I, I, it's it's like, yeah. Oh, because you don't actually listen to anything besides white shit. Sometimes I, sometimes I spit out shit that makes sense. And when I did the Babylon beat podcast last Friday, I was like, wokeism is just, uh, an, an attempted interpretation of black people by white people that don't know any black people. Yes. <laughs> no, it's it, that's what I'm saying. Like people, I, there's some misguided people out there when they get mad at the woke shit. They're like, just fuck. It's like it's, it's like no man. It's you should be mad at white people. We're the ones doing it. It's yeah, us. yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's us. And by the way, my favorite rap album is uh, Busta Rhymes' Genesis. I think it's front to back. It's probably the most complete rap album. I'm ever. ready to die by Biggie myself, but that's fair. <laughs> it's also- yeah, that's good. No, I mean, you know that that album with Busta. It's like you combine the production of of the Neptunes with Busta's rapping ability. It's like the perfect for that early 2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s mm-hmm. rap. I felt like that was. That was like the all-star, you know, that the all-star collaboration in that time. And I also liked it because it was like, it was the, it was like not the chronic 2001, which <laughs> yeah, was yeah. an Eminem, which was like permeating the rap waves so much. But yeah. like, you know, this was like the last kind of like rap trend of shit. And then it went into like big timers uh, and like dirty South rap, which was fucking trash. And then Kanye West shows up on the scene and then it's like the whole game changed. So yeah, but well, yeah, that 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 was like that was also it was just like there were two there were two albums that people bumped uh, in school, like my senior year that were rap albums. And one was the, the, the fucking posers listened to the chronic 2001 <laughs> and then the actual black people and the people I hung out with listened to fucking Busta. Yeah, and yeah. that was just I just thought it was a musically and lyrically superior record. Yeah, that, that, and that it was fucking a bangs. Yeah. Remember back when people had systems in their cars? Yes. And, and that, dude, like that an fucking album, under you? dude, <laughs> that fucking album, but I probably lost years on my life because that being in people's cars with way too loud of speakers banging that fucking <laughs> record. Dude. Yeah. I, I grew up on Staten Island and like a uh, bunch of white kids where I grew up in, on yeah. Staten Island and a bunch of Italian kids, especially. And like, yeah, they all either drove around blasting fucking rap or just dance like techno because that was you know this was like 99 2000 i was i went to i was a freshman 2000 so these like all my friends older brothers and shit like that you know they're going they're going to like electric factory and shit like the dance and they're all fucking gearing up to all the fucking techno shit in the basement and they go out to their cars and blast all the techno shit that's like dude what are you guys doing and all the, and the street glow in their cars <laughs> fucking street glow yeah <laughs> and then i would say before that uh it was probably before bust it was probably dmx uh, because so in high school i moved from philly to um to minnesota which went from being like diverse to like all fucking white yeah and uh and so yeah like the dmx was what all my friends on the east coast were listening to right up until i moved and then it was then we got into like bust the rhymes and shit and Nas and like different, you know, I, I, I go back like when people go like, what's your favorite stuff? I like to go, go like really back. I like old school tribe called Quest. And yeah, uh, you know, like to me, the, the baseline in uh, in uh, oh, what is the fucking word on low end theory? Um, what is that? Um, Jesus Christ, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the song. Uh 
like Jesse's like excursion up. excursions <laughs> it's the opening song yeah that fucking bass line at the beginning that the, i remember the very first time i heard that kick in and i was like i grew up as a musician i was like in bands and stuff and played like punk music and metal music and but i remember hearing the bass line of excursions and being like oh shit that's fucking fire like that's some rage against the machine type shit yeah and dude. uh you know, so I, I don't know. I've I've always been a fan of rap music that uses live instruments over samples and shit. So anytime somebody can really fucking throw down on live instrumentation, uh, I like that music more. Yeah, man. Fucking I, I, I really only grew up listening to uh, rap and rock. That was pretty much my thing. And now, like, I live out in the burbs of Philly. I live in uh, fucking Bucks County. I live in Newtown. And nice. It's a, lot, it's, a lot, it's a lot of country. Yeah, well, Amish country, bro. No, that's not Amish country. That's <laughs> what, that's, what, that's actually like two hours from me. That's pretty fucking Lanc- far. Yeah, talk about Lancaster. Lancaster. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. far, dude. Uh, but like, it's all country. Non, it's like that arena country shit. Yeah, well, yeah. Once it's yeah, it, from as far <laughs> from as a Delco kid, bro. Anything past King of Prussia is Amish country. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's a pretty good Delco accent. Yeah, when that again, I'm a New York guy, so when that's that where shit, I grew up, man. When that shit comes out, I'm like, yo, you have a th- when they say phone, the phone. Yeah, phone, wooder, <laughs> wooder, wooder is the other one. Yeah, pay, yeah, give me a cup of wooder. See, uh, my wife is from Newtown, but uh, she still has some words that kind of transcend to delco so oh, really? she, she so she won't she doesn't say towel she says towel towel yes yeah, towel. Fuck that. yeah i'm like where's the w bitch yeah no we don't we <laughs> skip we we don't have time for that shit that the the delco way of speaking came out of like it was it became like a shorthand because everybody had miserable blue collar jobs and they had no fucking patience <laughs> to deal with one another so they don't say towel they say towel tail yeah, yeah, hand me a tail. Hand me a tail. Uh, yeah. I shove yeah. up my balls. Sometimes I, I'll it's not say, the it's not the inquirer. It's the inquire. It, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I think I'm retarded, and I'm like, no, no, no. We're retarded. No, we're the, no, we are retarded. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but shove up my balls about New York. I, I don't really have a New York accent anymore. It's pretty much gone. But like, uh, yeah, uh, mine too. Like when you, yeah. yeah, but believe it or not, when you travel the country and you live in different places, you lose your all your accents. Well, I, I kind of started losing when I started doing comedy a lot. Like, yeah, because you, you, you don't want to sound like a dumb Italian from Staten Island. So you're like, I got to try to enunciate my words better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, there's not know. like there's any of those in comedy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not as good as those ones. <laughs> Let yeah. them have their gig. I'll do my own thing. Uh, all right. I did want to ask you, though, what because you're, you're a libertarian. What got you into the liberty movement? Like, what was your, like, what did it? You were always a libertarian? Like, you, I happened? think so. I think so. I mean, there was really never a kind of a name for it. But, like, yeah, I always kind of grew up. The one thing that always kind of uh, threw me away from the Democratic Party was the collectivism, was this idea of, like, you know, oh, well, we have to. And it was also just understanding that, like, the larger the group gets, the more chance there is at corruption. And so when I started to look at like Democrat, like I always felt very socially liberal. But then when I started looking at the like, just when you get older and you start looking at economics more and, and those types of things, you're just like, wait a minute, this all feels like sharing tips. You know what I mean? Like when people go, uh, oh, yeah, no, we should all share the tips. It's like, well, no, that chick has big tits and does a great job and she gets all the tips. It would be unfair for us to take some of her tips for ourselves. Right. And then, you know, when you start to realize that that's basically what all leftism is, is some degree of Marxism and socialism, then you start to realize, like, well, that's just not what America's about. And so for me, like, I think I found the liberty movement just because I felt like it was the most and and I was always pushed away from the right because it was so growing up. It was so religiously conservative. I yeah. think it's become a lot more punk rock now, but I still run into problems with the right. I'll give you an example. Like I love the guys at the Babylon Bee, but they're super religious and they do not, they don't even allow cursing on their podcast. So it's just really? like, they, Oh yeah. So it's like, I, listen, I respect that. And when I'm in their house, I do my best to sort of be on my best behavior and, and obey that stuff. But, um, but it's sort of like, it's too pearl clutchy for me. And so I always kind of found myself like smack in the middle of these two movements. And then, you know, it probably wasn't until my, until I started doing comedy at 23, where I was like, wait a minute, what are libertarians? Because you started to find out there are a lot of these, you know, like back then it was the, the Ron Paul libertarian movement of people that were like, well, you know, Ron Paul believes in all these social things, 
but also believes in a lot of these individualistic concepts that are based on the Constitution and based on, you know, the construction of America in the first place. And I go, oh, wait a minute, that's exactly what I like. And so it wasn't until I started doing comedy and, and started meeting a lot of the Minnesota Ron Paul, uh, Jesse Ventura types of people um, that I really sort of understood that I've been a libertarian all along. It's it's probably like a closeted dude walking into a gay bar first time and feeling like I'm home. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I I've been saying progressivism is just communism with extra steps, like the Rick and Morty joke, you know. But like yeah. that's kind of what it is. It's it's like we're progressive, we're not communists. It's like yeah, but all your shit is. You, you yeah, just... well they've they've <laughs> lapped they've lapped common sense. Like when you know, great example is like. We're talking about resegregation now in the name yes. of progressivism. It's like dope. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, when, yeah, when yeah. do we get the broads back in the kitchens, you fucking animals? Right. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah. Well, that thing, it's like we want black students to have their own day. It's like, yeah, they did in the 60s, too. And then they. Yeah. yeah they had, I, listen, I'm going to take you one further. What if we give them their own schools and water fountains and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right? what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and keep, it to, predict- keep, keep it to their side of town. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, that's what I'm th- like. That's what was so brilliant about Ryan Long's sketch about yeah, yeah, racist yeah, yeah, and woke yeah, yeah. people having everything yeah. in common. Yes. And I called this when I, when I did the pilot episode of uh, my show for Censored TV. I was like, we are going to have Negro League baseball again in our lifetime. There is going to there is going to be a push for an all black league in one of the primary sports and people are going to applaud it. They're going to go. We're going to have all black owners. We're going to have all black uh, coaches and we're going to have only black players. And people are going to go. Yes, finally. And you're like, wait a minute. We had that. We all agreed it was bad. Yeah, we all agree that um, being humans were better than being animals against each other we but- yeah we used to uh and then there's this sort of we so i don't know man it's just like you know th- those sides get a little too they, they just stray so much from common sense and it's just like you know you I, it's i wish i could say that i have friends on both sides but i really don't anymore like my friend the my the most my most left-leaning friends are centrist libertarians and most of my friends are right-leaning <laughs> conservatives now because everyone on the left is like I wish some of my old friends that are staunchly on the left, like sometimes I would love to just walk in on their podcast and play it back to them and go like, are, do you hear yourself? Are you fucking retarded? Yeah. Are you, you just said that this black man is a white supremacist. Are you fucking retarded? Yeah. Yeah. And the that's a wild yes, one. They're retar- yes, they are retarded. Yeah. The whole Larry Elder thing. I was like, you guys are calling him a white. It means nothing anymore. It's just absurd. They used it's to be absurd. a real thing. He's be a real by the problem. Way, <laughs> so by the way, so you either think that black people are so evil that they would uh, infiltrate a political party for the purposes of their own extinction, or <laughs> yeah. you think they're so fucking stupid yeah. that they would get tricked into joining a political party with the with the uh, the the end goal being their own extinction. Which one of us is this is the racist, by the way? Oh, yeah, right. it's actually you. Well, that's like, again, I say I say this all the time, but like us as libertarians, especially, you know, I'm used to caucus guys. But like if I argue against right wingers, I get called a soy boy fucking gay idiot. Yeah. You know, but if I if I argue against a lefty, I'm like, I'm a Nazi. I thought I'm a Nazi who hates everybody a racist. It's like, well, Dude, can we I just be, ha- how am I both things? Yeah. <laughs> I fucking both things. Well, and the reality is, is like. Here's where here's where we suck in these conversations. And I've said this for so long. There's two problems with libertarians and conservatives in this culture war right now. Number one, we too often try to over intellectualize our positions. Like part of the part of the reason I got in trouble with all that abortion tweet stuff a few weeks ago was because I've just gone to the thing of like, I'm just going to ridicule you and call you fucking dumb. Uh, and if I think you're being a loose whore, then I'm going to call you a loose whore. <laughs> um, and so and the only people, by the way, that I'm speaking to are whores. So if you're offended, that's because you self-identify as a whore. Um, I didn't tell you you were. You just got offended by the joke and proceeded to sign yourself up. So but the problem is, is we just we try to always have facts and over intellectualize things. And I use this analogy when all that shit blew up. I go, listen, the right needs se- some scalpels people like ben shapiro i would even put crowder in this position because i think they're very great at putting a lot of fact and data behind their intellectualized points but you also need a lot of sledgehammers people like myself and kumia and gavin mcginnis who are like ah you guys are all just being fucking faggots yeah 
you know, and we have to be willing to ridicule the other side for their absurd beliefs. And then the other problem is um, when you find yourself in those in those arguments, like you, you have to realize there is no winning on intellectualism because they're never going to attempt to defend their position like they they're following Saul Linsky's rules for radicals in all of their public oppositional points. They watch every Democrat debate a conservative and it resorts to name calling and ridicule and everything. I mean, you could literally go through Saul's book, uh, Rules for Radicals, and they're literally hitting all those points. And nowhere in those points are humanize your adversary, right? right. Which is what we try to do. We yeah, try we to do. go, well, let me put myself in your shoes. Yeah. Don't ever fucking do that. They don't view you as a human being. You cannot return that to them. Yeah. And like, there's a th- man, you're right. Cause even I get into a lot of obviously political discussions on Twitter. And your Twitter is what it is. But still, that's where I have a lot of, you know, public discourse about politics. And like, there is a thing I noticed for the most part. Where if I'm the arguing or just talking with the right leaning person, they're less quick to go to insults, and they're they're more willing to talk with you. Now, will it? Yes, it can dissolve sense, of course. But I found it less, way less actually, than when I argue people on the left. And I and I do genuinely now. If I think you're a troll, I'll troll you straight from the back. I don't give a shit. You're not worth my time. But if yeah. you if you have your face and your fucking avatar and you're being genuine, I'll be a hundred percent genuine with you at first. And this happened to me a lot. I, lefties are like, "Why don't you believe in whatever the fuck?" I go, "Well, because it kind of hurts this person for this reason. And I don't think that's fair to marginalize this group because of that group." And they'll be like, "You're a Nazi." I go, "Okay, you know what? Fuck you." Uh, now I'm not gonna like because I used to be like, "Oh, hold on." I used to try to rationalize. And I, now no, I'm you can't. The, no, no. Now I'm at the point where I will talk to you, but the minute you want to be disingenuous with me. And you don't actually want to have a discussion. Then I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. Now I'm just going to roast you. This would become a meme war and I'm going to win it. Because I'm yeah. just going to, now I'm not going to take you seriously. I'm just going to meme you to death with fucking gifts and pictures and I'm not going to take you seriously. And you're going to get so mad because you're going to try to keep being serious with me. And I already don't, you're done. I gave you a chance. Well, and the problem is like the, le- the left will reduce you to your identity and the right will re- reduce you by your morals. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is the problem I have with people like Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens is they'll, They'll literally draw you into conversation and then you'll be like, yeah, these fucking people. And they'd be like, see, I don't use language like that. And you're just like, well, that now you're trying to other me because you think my language is some sort of uh, some sort of indicator of how right my argument is, which is never the case. Um, and then on the left, they'll just go, well, it doesn't matter what you think. You're a straight white male. And so, you know, and it's just it's so funny to me that three years ago, people tried to cancel me because I said straight white males become the new N word. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and now we're watching white kids get kicked out of college campuses because of the color of their fucking skin. I yeah. mean, it, it kind of reminds me of that scene in Forrest Gump where they're screaming at the black kids that are trying to go to college. Are you guys so dumb you don't realize how familiar this all looks? Yeah, it's like when, when are the dogs coming back too? <laughs> right I, I bring out the fire hoses like, what, like, yeah it's, it's like we're supposed to be all hanging out chilling together if you're cool obviously but like that's the whole fucking point of this that was the point of america <laughs> that's the idea yeah yeah <laughs> I, think the I, point of america. I think i said this on next week tonight but i was like uh the thing about melting pots is that they're not they don't have uh separators that keep the shit from melting together right like, like that's what that's kind of what make it a melting pot. You can't really have segregation inside of a melting pot. Then it's not a fucking melting pot. It's a heating station. Like, like when these fucking guys <laughs> try to cancel and, uh, and ask the Jews how how they feel about heating stations. <laughs> well, I, I almost made a similar joke on my comedy podcast before, and I stopped myself. <laughs> now I'm gonna hold off. Uh, <laughs> like, I uh, like how, how like these dummies who fucking um try to like cancel restaurant like white woman for making burritos because it's like cult. I'm like. Right. So they can't spread a fucking del- like a delicious delicacy that we all enjoy because they're- dude, let me let me share a story with you about the the real demise of my Food Network show, because there's a lot of misunderstanding out there because it talks about exactly what you're talking about. Uh, in season one, we had some of the largest uh, ratings that any new show had had across all their networks for about 10 years, probably since the original Man versus Food ever aired. Um, and I do believe show, this, by the way. it was fun, man. <laughs> it was a fun so, show. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we got into season one and at the at tail end of season one, things started to trail off. And I remember having a call with the network and our producers and my agents. And we we're like, what do we think? Are we polling people? Like, what do we think it is? And it's like, they, 
they believe uh, that, you know, it's kind of like the show doesn't have a lot of replay value. It's like once you see three episodes, you've seen all the episodes. And I go, well, part of the problem is the format. Like we're, we're too cookie cutter. And a great example is season two. We went back to a restaurant that we had filmed. My Basically, my audition was filmed there in Atlanta. It's outside of Atlanta in a place called Ackworth, Georgia. It's a restaurant called Henry's Louisiana Grill. Now, when you do a food show, there's generally one of three things in the day that steals the show. It's either the food itself, it's either the chef's personality and or their story, or it's the interactions you have with the people in the audience, right? It's the same with stand-up. Some nights your material's on, sometimes your fucking crowd works on, sometimes the show just has an electric energy no matter what you're fucking doing, and sometimes the show is dead no matter what you're fucking doing. So you got to be able to pivot, the good comics pivot. I said we have to start pivoting the show to whatever the hero of the day is. And we would show up, and we showed up at this place in Ackworth, and I go, this whole segment, should be about Henry and his story. And Henry's story was the woman who raised him was the daughter of freed slaves. And he learned all of his understanding of Creole cooking from her. So he was basically raised by the daughter of freed slaves who, who like worked for his family. And she passed on this immense fucking talent and ability to make authentically amazing Creole food. And everything about his story about growing up, she, her name was Mammy Castile. Everything about his story growing up with her was respectful, was like uh, like an homage, a tribute. There was no like, yeah, I learned how to cook from the nigs. Like that wasn't his attitude at all. It, there was so much love in that story. And because of the the even the tie in that it was related to slavery, the network refused to cover any of the stuff we filmed about it. And I remember going back to the network and going, this is fucking interesting. And this piece, all right, shows how food can really fucking bring people together. And isn't that really what we set out to do with this show? This show's not a competition eating show. This show is about communal eating and the idea that people can come together and go like, we all want to eat this fucking 65 inch pizza together. It's about making food more than a meal, making it an experience with other people. I go, that's what the show was supposed to be about. And you guys are so cookie cutter and like this minute needs to be this many shots of food and this segment needs to, then we jump to this. And I was like, if we don't pivot to the star of the show and sometimes the star is the, is the cultural story behind the food that the person is making, um, we're, not doing, we're not doing what the show set out to do in the first place. And I remember having this conversation with Duff Goldman and my agent, Max, at, at UTA. And they go, listen, man, you just got to understand everybody comes to Food Network thinking they're going to be Anthony Bourdain. And you'll find out you'll just be lucky to stay on and be some semblance of Guy Fieri. And it was like, it was like a smack in the face of like, Hey man, shut the fuck up and just do the job we hired you to do. And so, you know, I was like, listen, if I, that was at the point where, where, you know, we're filming season two and I'm going, listen, if my creative input is completely not valued on this show, then you're going to have to pay me more to do it. Yeah. Right. Because I, I'm writing out all the fucking material that goes into the show with the exception of voiceovers, which another producer wrote. Um, everything that's happening, I'm writing on the fly. I'm doing off the cuff, all the give and go with the fucking au the audience and the restaurant, all the back and forth of the chefs. There's so many segments I'd come up with like, oh, let's go shoot this thing. It'll be funny. And I was getting no producer credit. And I was basically being like, well, you're just the fucking host. So just host. And I'm like, cool, then you're going to pay me more money to host. And um, and then we just we never kind of could come together on either what the vision of the show should have been or what my role as a producer and contributor was going to be. And so we just went our separate ways at the end of season three's filming, which was fall of 17. And then I was canceled, quote unquote, in 2018. And everybody thinks that I was fired from the Food Network at that point. But we had already stepped away from each other um, because of that, because they were so fucking afraid of being offensive that they refused to let us tell any stories. Wow, that's uh pretty disgusting on their part. To, that's a great story. It's gross. Yeah, it's a great. It's gross, story. and then you wonder, and and then you wonder why, and the people go, I wonder why they came so hard at you when you came out as pro life. Like even when the 2018 shit happened, Foodwork never made a comment at all, um, and probably because all the jokes that people went back and found that they thought showed me as a racist, they all existed before Food Network signed me. Right. So they would have had to explain why they were cool with it when they gave me a contract. And then they're not cool with it afterwards. Right. 
So they never commented on anything. And then when I when I went after the the, the fucking pro-choice, pro uh pro-genocide people, um, the whores as I call them, <laughs> <laughs> that's when they came out and said, like, we distance ourselves from him. We regret ever having given him a platform. Yeah, that's to, to hold back a story of like how cooking could help overcome not overcome slavery, but like help get through slavery and like help like this like a communal thing and like we're gonna pass our down our knowledge to you. And it's like it's like a fucking great story. And it's like, nah. But like, it's like listen, 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 listen. This, this I say this all the time, people don't like it. If you told me that slavery was the only way my people would have the ability to have the kind of generational wealth and prosperity that black people have in this country today. Uh, I would do it for my future generations a hundred times over. Now, I'm not saying that that makes it right, but I'm saying, yes, it's an ugly part of American history, but it's an ugly part of the world history. Our, our willingness to correct that mistake and to change as a, as a country has now made America the best place in the world to live for black people. We have more generational wealth and prosperity here for black people than anywhere else in the fucking world. And slavery, unfortunately, was part of that. Um, but it's like there are so there are like it's all about perspective. It's all about how you choose to look at it. Like Madam C.J. Walker came out of slavery and became the fucking first female millionaire in the United States was actually a freed yeah. slave named Madam CJ Walker, mm -hmm. who built a line of hair care products and beauty products and was like the first, the first Kylie Jenner in American <laughs> history. And, and there is something to say, and this is what I think is amazing. Is like a lot of my black friends will tell you like all the oppression my, my parents went through or experienced or whatever fucking drove us, drove us to reach to great heights and, and exceptionalism. Uh, there's also another aspect of that in, in terms of black excellence, which I think has a great deal to do with a commitment to faith in God um, that I think has been very useful for the black community as well to kind of pull themselves out of this, this sense of like, well, we're, we are lesser than citizens. And so there's no point in trying. And, you know, I think there was a tremendous amount of individualism that rose up out of it. My point is there are, there are some beautiful things that came out of a, an ugly arranged marriage in this country that was slavery. And, and the food story that, that Henry was sharing, I felt like was one of those things because it's like now this, this part of black culture that was born out of oppression and slavery is now just part of American culture for the better, by the way, like the way that black, the way that black, uh, the black experience influenced music, influenced food. These are all very interesting stories about what has shaped the culture of America. I don't view it as appropriation. I, I think it's the melting pot doing what melting pots yes. are supposed to do. And sometimes somebody shits in the melting pot, you go, this is going to be awful. And then you taste it and you go, what the fuck? This is amazing. <laughs> and so, and I do think sometimes we have to be willing to acknowledge it. Like, yeah, while the while we started with fucked up ingredients and a bad recipe, we've done a really good job of making some fucking killer cuisine um, out of what we were given. I mean, America's the birth of America is like a bad episode of chop where the, the fucking chef just spins it on his head and makes something amazing. That's a great, really great way of looking at it. And like, I, yeah, I agree with you. We aren't who we are as a country without all that black influence of black culture. And like, we would be a lesser for it. <laughs> like we would be lame as fuck. <laughs> Any cool shit. Well, yeah, of course. Like it's, it, it, I always thought that was important. So yeah, have you ever eaten food in the UK? How's it taste? I no, but I have cousins there, and they say it sucks. It's awful. Yeah, yeah it's bland as it's fuck. awful. Yeah, no salt. It, maybe you guys <laughs> should have started with more slaves. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, they suck. Yeah, for food. <laughs> we like we have fish and chips. Like yeah, we do too. Suck a dick. It's not, it's not hard to fucking fry cod, you cunts. Yeah, like, yeah, this is stop. really good, mate. You just got to pour gasoline on it. Oh, cool. Cool, right. You guys are so fucking talented, you fucking tools. You know, my name's Nutter's an English name, right? So I have, I have heritage that goes back there. Dude, I am fucking sick of Europeans talking shit on America. I really am. I've been. Well, they all can't, they all can't wait to get here, can they? Right, yeah, that, that also, and I also can say this a lot of times, too. I'll be like, I'll be like, yeah, you guys are all the same, though. Like, Sweden's all just white people. Yeah. Well, that's why I laugh when when people talk about taking away the rights, the Second Amendment rights here in America. 
And they go, look at Australia. It works in Australia. Well, I could talk about the obvious thing that's happening well, right now yeah, with, yeah. with the fucking total totalitarian yeah. boot yeah. on the neck that's happening. But aside from that, I go, yeah, of course it works. When uh, 90% of the population is concentrated to the cities, all upper middle class white people who make about the same amount of money and look the same. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need that kind of shit uh, when, when you have such a homogenized society. Oh, and by the way, you have, what is it? 10 million people sharing the amount of land that is the United States. It would be like if the United States yes. population was only Los Angeles. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So it's like, of course, there's there's more than enough land and resources and shit to go around for everybody. And everybody lives pretty fucking well. You don't need guns to protect your family because there aren't desperate people trying to take what you have. Yeah, I read an interesting thing from an Australian dude about. I mean, up until very recently, they're they're pushing back. They're kind of they're protesting. But like, I mean, way too late, if you ask me. But uh, of course. But I read a thing because he said a lot of American friends of mine are asking me, like, why aren't you guys, you know, pushing? But why aren't you guys fighting this government more? Why aren't you guys pushing back? And he said, because we don't have that rebellious spirit like you guys have. He's like, you got to look yeah. at our history. He's like, you guys fought literal wars over like, your freedom. He's like, we were a prison colony who was then granted countryship by the crown. Everything was given to us by the crown. We only know the crown and government. So our people are very much like loyal to that and kind of like subconsciously in a way where all we know is government gives us stuff. So that's what we got. Well, and quite frankly, like we, we are suffering now from an America that is the result of the result of the Civil War. And so what I mean by that is like so often history tries to teach that the Civil War was just about slavery. But there were two other elements yes. that were pretty prominent in the Civil War. One was it being the right for states to govern themselves mm-hmm. without having a federal totalitarian control over them. And then the other thing that never gets talked about about the Civil War is that a lot of the people that wanted to raise slavery as a question of morality had immoral means or immoral ends uh, that they were trying to achieve, primarily indebting us back with the Bank of England, because the concept was if we if we if we raise the moral question of slavery in America, um, then we will bankrupt America's financial independence and they will have to go back into debt essentially as an extended colonies of the of the bank of england and the nation of uh, the united kingdom so um that it was sort of like we we have to we have to end it wasn't like we have to end slavery because it's the right thing to do i think we like to dress it up like that in hindsight but there were a lot of people back then that wanted to end slavery because it was the only way we had economic independence in the colonies um you know in 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 the united states at that point So um, and that's also why there were even this is the part that gets left out of the story. There were black slave owners like William Ellison who gave their entire fucking fortune to the Confederacy, not because they necessarily agreed with the racial uh, component of slavery, but that they knew that the survival of America and America's economic dependence counted on it. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of nuance to the the Civil War that that gets left out of the discussion. (laughs) excuse me and now we're finding to great detriment because here we are in another situation where somebody like Ron DeSantis is going no you don't have the right to govern us as a state that way uh we're going to uphold our ability to govern ourselves as a state and I'm not going to accept federal overreach and now people are going well that's treasonous it's like no 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 No, that's that's why we built the government the way we did in the first place people literally I mean again we're libertarians we're fucking nerds we read all this constitution shit we read all these books it's by the way also nowhere in the constitution does it say you can't peacefully secede either correct like like people people you can't violently secede that's a thing but there's nowhere nowhere does it say anywhere by the way you can't what, what, what would stop peaceful secession is the government, <laughs> which is Correct. which is like uh, I was trying. That's why I was trying to look up on my phone, but I couldn't find it. There's a Lincoln quote. Lincoln was a shitty president, by the way. People think like people think he was great. He was not great. He he said he said, uh, if I didn't have to free any any of the slaves and this war, I wouldn't. If I had to free right. half of the slaves, I would. If I had to free all the slaves, I will. Whatever to end the war. He didn't necessarily give a shit until no. kind of the end, where he was like, oh, I'll push this forward a little more. But like that's that's a myth about Lincoln. Like he was never always gung ho for that. He he just wanted to keep every the whole thing together. And then right. at the end of it, he pushed hard for the Emancipation Proclamation. But that was like afterthought almost from him. Right. 
Well, it was it was kind of what we do now, where we we Trojan horse uh, totalitarianism on the back of social justice, and and we we try to sell it to the public as it's the right thing to do, and it's really just about maintaining uh, total power, total control, and the highest level of taxation possible. Like the reason that they don't want secession in the United States is because all of the fuck the, the South will not really be the South. It'll be like the bottom and a lot of the middle, but will also <laughs> yeah. be the largest manufacturing and food growing part uh-huh. of the country. And so it, essentially there is no reality where there can be two Americas because there will be an America that tries to starve the other side of technology, which will be the liberal side. And then there'll be the America that starves you of manufacturing and food, which will be our side. It'll be North and South Korea, essentially. And the, you know, I, I would rather be on the side that has the food. I don't know about you. Sure. Like I could do, I could do with an, without an iPhone <laughs> sure, as long sure. as I'm surviving. Yeah. Um, so, and that's really what it'll be there. So there is no, there is no way there's going to be two Americas. It, what will happen is, is we'll just go into war and then the one side will beat the living fuck out of the other side and the whole country will change. Yeah, for sure. But like, I don't want to see war. No one wants to see war. That's the fucking thing is like, it's like, that's, that's the worst case scenario. Of course, that's like the legitimate worst case scenario. But I mean, does voting work? I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, you know I'll tell saying? you. I don't know. I'll tell you, man. You know, like I don't. I don't want to get you thrown off of YouTube. No, I don't but even like, mean, I don't even mean it from that. I don't. I don't even mean it from that standpoint. I just meant like, no. does does voting work in the sense of like, okay, let's say you let the guy in that you think is gonna do, that he gets in there or she gets in there and doesn't do what you want anyway. That's what I meant. Like, well, there's yeah, there's too many mechanisms of government. Right, so it's like, like it's, it's like it's it too matter. fat. It's overly fat with middle management. Uh, all the only taxation we have anymore for the most part is taxation without representation. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I've gone on record many, many, many times that like, if we were at any other time in history and if, and if our nation were any less fucking soft, uh, we would have been seeing so many political assassinations, beheadings and murderings in the last fucking five years, but we're all pussies, man. And you know, it's like for, for a fucking person, like for, for some of these politicians to say the things they say, to do the things they do, like, listen, did John F. Kennedy ever fucking disobey his own orders and go on national TV and laugh at the media for getting caught? No, like, to get shot. I mean, nothing is blatant. <laughs> nothing is blatant as that. And listen, I, I, I would love to do a podcast with somebody who's like a mafia expert, because I will tell you that we have the America we have today because of the death of organized crime, because keep in mind, we were on the verge of government overreach to this degree in the 1960s, and the mafia stepped in and put a fucking end to That's it. That's true. The mafia. I say this a lot, and people really look at me worried, but the mafia wasn't great, but they also kind of were. The mafia was tremendous. Yeah, so it's like, it's like, yeah, did they do fucked up shit? Yeah, sure. But you kind of had to be involved already to be fucked up. You know what I'm saying? It was like there were yeah. some innocent people and be like, give me your shit. I mean, the I mafia added a people, layer but... of accountability for government that has not existed since its demise. But by the way, that's why I'm pretty sure they killed Kennedy. But of course, they absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. they was, killed Kennedy and they killed Jimmy. It was Hoffman. either it was either well, yeah, it was either them or the CIA, but it was probably uh, them. Um, yeah. The interesting little fact about World War II, you know, the World War II, our government hired the mafia, Lucky Luciano, to guard the docks and to make sure none of the dock workers went on strike during the war. Because yeah. most of the dock workers were Italian Americans, and they were there's a fear of because we were fighting Italy. I mean, kind of at the yeah. time that they were going to turn on us, and then they were like, "Make sure it doesn't happen." He's like, "Got you," <laughs> and then he did. <laughs> well, the you know the fucking uh, what was it the Bay of Pigs or the or the Cuban Missile Crisis, all that stuff was you know if you watched much better than the movie The Irishman is the book. Uh, so I hear you paint houses, or I've heard you paint houses. What I don't remember heard, exactly I've the heard title that book before. Yeah. Um, but it's the it's the it's the deathbed uh, bedside memoir of Frank Sheeran, who was the lead character in The Irishman. But in that book, he goes on to expressly describe in great detail how the mafia was essentially involved in all of that Cuba shit under Kennedy. And then when JFK sicked his brother on the mafia mm-hmm. uh, to try to retaliate against them for attempting to influence and control what he was doing as a president. Um, after they fucking racketeered to get him elected, yeah. um, you know, the first Catholic president in American history, you, you think the Italians weren't part of that. Right. Um, and so, uh, he basically was like the government's stronger than the mafia. And then the mafia said, I guess we'll see about that. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, the more and more you read about all the Kennedy stuff, the more and more you think it was mafia for sure. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. Mob. Wild how they never got caught. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Well, and, and, and I think it goes back to the fact that the organized crime and the CIA had a long running interworking relationship. Like the mafia was used as our black ops for many, many, many years. Yeah, people because, don't know that. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you, you, so here's a great example. Uh, you are the, um, you are the federal government. You're not allowed to kill people because of the uh, Geneva Convention, right? You're not allowed to whack fucking foreign leaders. You're not allowed to whack our own people. Essentially, we have all these sort of laws written in where you're not allowed to assassinate people. Right. You got this uh, this homegrown <laughs> private sector organization. That has no <laughs> yeah. problem with whacking anyone. Right. And the, so do yeah. you go out and train your own people and risk not having control of them? Or you just fucking hire these guys to go do it for you. They're already killing people. Right. Yeah, and then you look brilliant. the other way. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah, Kennedy yeah. fucked up. Kennedy it's, fucked they up. Were, sure. They were subcontractors, and then Kennedy said, "We're going to pull your contract," yeah, and they said, "No, you're not." That was wild, man. That was. I mean, th knowing that, I guess he really did think he was untouchable. I guess he did. Yeah, he did. You know, and that's the problem. It's, it's this sort of absolute power corrupts absolutely. Even a fucking mafia knows that. That's why they had five heads of families and not one. Right. But I still think they had to be in bed with then Johnson and stuff and LBJ and all those guys because like I think they were involved too. Like the st did you ever see that? you saw that picture of him getting sworn in on the plane? That smirky gifts to that fucking it's so creepy, dude. Well, listen, they they probably I I don't doubt for a second that the fucking the crime families uh, after that happened had a conversation with Johnson and said, listen, we can we can dig two holes, motherfucker. You're either gonna play <laughs> yeah. ball with us or you're not. Yeah, yeah, that's wild, man. The and they were probably like, listen, you'll have a peaceful presidency in this country. You mind your fucking business and you give us Robbie because we're going for him too. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's, you know, there's. So, so why, so why use Sirhan Sirhan to shoot him? Oh, <laughs> are you asking me why we've used patsies? No, I'm kidding. I, 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 that, was, that was a rhetorical facetious yeah, question. Yeah, of course, man. Yeah. <laughs> All, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do we, we, cause we love the idea of, uh, Listen, you don't want to catch a guy who's in a Gennaro crime family at the scene of, of the murder because then it's going to be like, wait a minute, what the fuck are the the mob is attacking the government? It's like, it's like Ruby shooting Oswald. Exactly. What was <laughs> the, you don't you don't think for a second that that wasn't like, yeah, we're we're on we're on the American side too, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the best way for you to not know my enemy? For me to kill your right. enemy for you? Well, like it's a, it's classic Sun Tzu shit. Right. I mean, they hired Oswald to do probably some of the shooting, and then as he was going to talk, they're like, nah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and it's always you know you look at like all the the shit like the catcher in the rye shit and everything. It's like there's calling cards. All over these things, you know, the, the the one of the most captivating Joe Rogan podcasts I ever listened to was the guy who wrote the book essentially about how Charles Manson and the and the Manson family was like a total government psyop. Yeah, uh, like essentially like a precursor to Manchurian candidate and, shit. MK Ultra shit. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and, you know, it's just it's fucking wild to me that, uh, you know, the, how much I didn't know about that before reading that book and, and watching that podcast. Yeah, uh, Operation Midnight Climax. Uh, yeah, which uh, again, people don't know, the government was using uh, prostitutes to drug Johns and also certain government people and stuff. With uh, at least hitting them with to high blackmail doses, them. Yeah, high doses yeah. of LSD, like high. And so these guys have no idea what LSD is, and they're just fucking trying to fuck some prostitute. And all of a sudden, they're seeing goblins crawl down the wall. And they're like, "What the fuck is happening?" That's some wild shit. And we did our government did that. I yeah, say, it's a, that's what Tuskegee experiment, all this fucked up shit that we have done over and over again to ourselves and others. And people still trust them blindly. I don't know. Pretty wild. But uh, I think we can wrap it up on mafia murdering JFK. Uh, Josh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh, quick, uh, just tell everybody they can find you and anything you have coming up you want to share or any, you know, social stuff. Media. Yeah, man, you can find all my stuff at joshdennycomedy.com. Uh, I'm at Josh Denny on Twitter, Getter, uh, Instagram, Josh Denny Official on Facebook. Uh, people should check out the Jankum podcast. I'd love to have you on there, Adam. Oh, yeah, dude. Fucking and, hit me uh, up anytime. Yeah, for sure. We'll have you on at some point. And then, uh, and then yeah, uh, I do a show for Censor TV called Next Week Tonight. I've had some weeks. Of, dude, I, I found out I have celiac disease after this last bout with COVID. Uh, gluten, gay. Yeah, it's, it's beyond. You can kind of see, like, if I zoom in, you can see I complete. I got cross contamination the other day. My whole fucking face broke out. God damn. Um, yeah, so it's like it, it's been a nonstop fucking battle with this for the last month and a half, two months. But uh, 
I'm figuring it out as I go. But yes, next week tonight on Sensor TV, people can check that out. And then, you know, as far as live dates, I'm working on a couple of things. I had a lot of people reach out after the, um, you know, the, all the press from a, about a month ago now about the abortion thing and you know different groups and everything. But I'm at the point and I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm just like, dude, I'm not fucking with forced vaccinations, masks or any of it. Like I'm not. I mean, I don't have I'm not fucking headlining places where I could make that decision. So <laughs> I go. Around yeah, cold. I'm just not. I'm just not <laughs> like I've had people reach out. I've had people reach out and be like, hey, man, we would love to book you. And I go, is is it vaccine required? They go. Yeah. And I go, no, nope, no, thanks. Yeah, that's fair. I get it. Yeah, when that's when that's done, it's and it's not a lot. I've had two places reach out, yeah, but yeah. it's like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. And, and I'm also not getting like, you know, I'm not going through required vaccinations or anything to travel like. I will, I will just continue to write, continue to do my shows, continue to do my podcast and, and wait for this shit to fucking blow over. Cause I, I, the idea of doing like, I don't know, man, you want me to go up and entertain the fucking, the, the about to be executed. It's like, (laughs) I feel like asking me to do comedy in front of a forced vaccinated forced mass audience is like, Hey, could you go up here at Auschwitz and do 10 before we kill all these fucking Jews? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't I don't want to do comedy in that environment. Yeah, no one looks happy. You can't see expressions, which is that's what comedy is. It's right. An interaction yeah. with the crowd. Yeah, dude. But that's yeah, good. I mean, it's like, you want me to go up can. there and fucking sing and dance like a monkey? I'm like, so we're all we're all scheduled for execution. Right, everybody? Like, <laughs> right. Be happy. I just can't get into it. Yeah, dude. No, I mean, do 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 shows where you can. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do them. Yeah, I'll do them where I can. If I get an offer and it's like, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of like, uh private dinner shows that for like republican groups and stuff because it's like they're not doing any vaccination or whatever isn't this fucking weird so like check this out uh if you have a comedy club the government can tell you you have to force vaccination for your workers and your attendees however if you're like a hotel and a private group comes in and rents your space uh they're not they're not like your hotel is not responsible for their behavior. Right. Does that make sense to no, some no, degree? Like, nothing so it's makes like, sense. yeah. So it, it's like, it's so the, the fucking loopholes in this stuff are so stupid. It just tells you how arbitrary this is. And the only reason it's still happening is because people are going along with it. Of course. Yeah. No, dude, of course. Uh, not to start a whole, we can do a whole other podcast on COVID, but let's, you know, maybe hold off for in a second, second appearance. Uh, Dude, thank you so much for coming on. If you come on the East Coast, let me know. We should do something together, obviously. Yeah, I would love to, man. Yeah, I would love to. Hang out. Uh, Josh, Jenny, everybody, thank you so much for coming on, sir. I'll catch you guys next week with... uh, uh, Fuck, I forgot who's on next week. I'll be on next week. Peace. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Find Adam on social media, Twitter and IG, at Adam Nutter, or Facebook and TikTok, at Adam Nutter Comedy. And for podcasts and merch, check out www.droptent.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.